Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Renaissance Men podcast. Um, this podcast just started with two kids bored in summer, so it's it's just our first, a bit of a passion project, so don't go too hard on us. Just something simple. Um, yeah. My name uh, is Sanchet Agarwal. And yeah, I'm, I'm Rohit, so... Yeah, we'll both be, I guess, co-hosts for this podcast. Um and I'll let, I'll let Ro- Rohit talk about the name explanation, and then I can talk a little bit about what this podcast is. Yeah, sure. So, um, hello. I'm going to be the co-host for this podcast. Um, so, Renaissance men actually has a definition outside of this word separately, Renaissance and men. Obviously, the Renaissance had to do a lot with, you know, art and science and multifaceted talents. And just like that, a Renaissance man is someone who is good at everything, a jack of all trades or a master of none. So the idea behind the name is we're going to bring and interview people who have special talents and talk about some of our own talents, but mostly tell you and get advice from people who are more experienced. Yeah, and Sancha, you can continue about what exactly we'll be doing. Yeah, exactly. That's a pretty good transition. So like Rohit said, We'll just be interviewing people, talking to them about their multi-talents, uh, the talents they might have. Um, essentially, that'll be the second half of the podcast. During the first half, we'll just sort of introduce, inter- have an intro, just go over some policies or events, topics together. And then we'll just save one for our guest and talk to them about their talents. Um, yeah. I think that's essentially this podcast. What this podcast is about? Again, it's just a simple passion project we just wanted to try out. So it's nothing too professional that we're expecting a lot. Yeah, I but so yeah, let's start it off. Um, yeah. So we'll we'll be interviewing people's activities and talents, but we also wanted to talk about a few of our own before we start. So I guess I can start it off. I would say if I had to, if I had to choose my three activities slash talents into three, I would put it down to speech and debate. Uh, I count that as one. Um, Computer science and soccer for me. Nice. What about you, Rohit? Yeah, for me, yeah, number one is undoubtedly speech and debate. I kind of sold my soul to it at this point. Um, (laughs) um, So number one is speech and debate. Number two, most probably would be uh, music. I do Indian classical music, so I sing. So that would be two. And hmm, three, I think three would be a toss up between I do Indian percussion or tennis. I'm going to go with tennis because diversity. Why not? Yeah. So nice. Really? I didn't even know you did Indian music. That's really cool. So what do you exactly sing? Just um, songs or do you also dance or just sing? I, I don't dance. I'm not good at dancing. I can't I can't like move myself. <laughs> I but know. Like, you know, I can I can sing. I can carry a tune, you know, some, something like that. Oh, that's that's yeah. pretty. That's great. Um, yes. Also, one more thing we forgot to mention. We'll we'll be posting podcast episodes every Sunday, Sunday morning to be exact. And yeah, our platforms include um, YouTube, uh, Spotify, and I'm forgetting the other two. Rohit, what were they? Yeah, YouTube, Spotify, I think Apple Playlists, and SoundCloud. Yeah, SoundCloud. SoundCloud. That was it. Yep. Um. Yeah, so Rohit, why don't so I our next topic for today is the NBA. 
I'm not a big fan of basketball, but I know Rohit watches it, I guess, I think. Yeah, yeah. So, tell me, how'd you feel about LeBron losing? I felt great. Um, I I personally like, I like LeBron as a player. I don't like LeBron when he's part of a team because, uh, for one, that team trampled on my beloved Warriors, which kind of hurts. Uh, the guy was literally blind when he <laughs> eliminated the Warriors to like out of like the first play-in game. So, I guess some hard feelings. Um, I I feel kind of bad that he lost, but at the same time, I mean, bro, like whatever amount of championships you have is enough. Like, save some for others, please, please. That's that's my feeling usually. Yeah, that's a good thing. I'm not really a big fan of LeBron either. I'm just a classic Golden State Warriors fan. Don't know much. Yeah. I usually just watch the finals. <laughs> um, <laughs> wow, that—that's like the classic bandwagon fan. I'm kind of disappointed. <laughs> yeah. Um. So who beat? It was the Suns, right? Phoenix Suns. Yeah, the Suns. The Suns. Yeah, so, and the I Suns think this year have an, an entirely like revamped thing. Like, I yeah, I, I didn't think they were. They were. They weren't too good. Like previously, right? They were. Not, they were really bad. <laughs> they had one good player, and that was it. Then who um, was it? Devin I, Booker. Yeah, Devin Booker. And then last year, they did really well in that little bubble, right? They went. They were the only team that went undefeated. So, oh. so yeah, I think Suns can be some future champions or even champions they, this year. Really. They might be present champions if everything goes their way. I mean, they obviously they obviously have a hard series coming up, regardless of whoever they're facing. Yeah. But, also, in the NBA, the Warriors unfortunately uh, had a end to their season recently. Uh, yeah. How'd you feel about that, Rohit? <laughs> I, it was rather, it was kind of frustrating, actually, and I'll tell you why. So the first one, I think we lost to the, to the Lakers, I think 103 to 100. Yeah. That was quite frustrating because LeBron was blind in one eye and made a three from like, like, he made a three from like San Francisco or something. <laughs> Wait, they were in San Francisco. Okay, they, they, he made a three from like Oakland. Wait, but they were, they, you know what, whatever. I don't know about this, the Warriors, like where they are. <laughs> And then, <laughs> and then the next game, we were facing the Grizzlies, who we had actually beaten just two games ago, right? like a good, like a solid, like comfortable margin. And then we lose to them. And then also it was a close game. So like, I don't yeah. know. How how was the like what was what was the format of this? Like what was needed in order to advance to the playoffs? I'm not really sure. Did oh, we have yeah, to win yeah. both games? It's, it's actually quite interesting. So this is the second year they've been. I think is it the second or first? I think it's the second. So this is how it works. So usually in a regular NBA season, the playoff, the, te- the teams that qualify are top eight, and they already then they go face, like, for example, one faces eight, two faces seven, three faces six. Yeah, and then there's like a play-in tournament, right? Yeah, but this time there's a play-in tournament. So the way that works is actually, um, what is it? Yeah, uh, so basically teams nine and ten actually play each other, and teams seven and eight play each other. So... The way it works is seven and eight play each other. Whoever wins qualifies to the playoffs in the seventh seed. Nine and ten play each other, and whoever wins gets eliminated. Then the loser of seven and eight, right? Like, because there's obviously a winner and a loser. The loser plays the winner of nine and ten. Like, for example, in the case of the Warriors, the Warriors were number eight, and the Grizzlies were number nine. So the Warriors lost to the Lakers, so they had to play another game, and obviously they have an and they had to play another game because they have an advantage. And the Grizzlies won their game. So they eliminated the Pacers, and they moved on. 
And then the Warriors and Grizzlies played, and obviously the Grizzlies won. So, mm-hmm. so the Warriors only had to win one game out of the two in order to make. Yeah, it. yeah, it's like King of the Court, right? Like the King has to win yeah. one game, and the the challenger has to win two in a row, like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit confusing, but I think I get it. Yeah, um, yeah, it's it was a tough season. I think um, we had a few players injured, so I think it'll be um, better next year. Um. Also, next year, it's a good transition to our next topic, um, on COVID, I think cases are going down, and I actually think we might ha- be able to have half a normal summer this summer. Yeah, I. so here's my thought on it, and I, you can get to yours in just a minute, but yeah. I feel like summer won't be affected. I feel like it's going to be fall, mainly. I think summer, people are still going to be a little cautious. I know a lot of friends of mine who are so cautious. Because summer is the time where everyone does go out in like a large proportion. So they might be trying to, I, I'm pretty sure they are, people are still trying to cut down how far they go. Obviously people are going to vacations. Like I know you're going to, uh, you're going to, uh, where are you going? Utah? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. So people are still going places, but I think by fall, when school finally opens in mm-hmm. full scale. Are you doing anything for summer in terms of traveling? You know, we were planning, actually. I think we, we went to Reno recently, like, a few days ago. Mm-hmm. So, I guess that was nice. We didn't really do much. Reno, I, I'm not trying to be mean to anyone who lives in Reno. <laughs> it, it really doesn't have anything. It's just a knockoff Vegas, in my opinion. Except it has Tahoe nearby. <laughs> hmm. I don't but, think there's that many casinos there, though. <laughs> yeah, there are casinos, but I don't know. They don't look that good. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at the numbers. <laughs> So it seems like, uh, oh, I, I need to go to United States, right? In total, we've, we've had 33.4 million cases, and and it's going down. So I think we'll probably end up with 35 million by the official end of the pandemic. Yeah, interesting. More on that. Yeah. Um, I think we can talk a little bit more about, like, the policy that were taken at the beginning some in some later episodes. We have an we have a topic about COVID um later on in this episode um involving vaccines, so we can also go over that. But yeah, sure. in terms yeah. of lockdown, I'm wondering, oh did you maybe learn any random talents or something? Maybe something special skill that you only picked up thanks to the coronavirus pandemic? I think, yeah, that's actually my major regret. And most of my, one of my teachers actually knows about this because I wrote, like, in my Kira class. Like, if you don't know, Kira is, like, a class at our school where we talk about, you know, ourselves. It's a, it's very spiritual, I guess. It's but, about spiritual growth. Yeah. So I remember, like, this is my one main gripe with COVID was that I never, I never took the effort to learn anything, which I, I'm kind of bummed about, but obviously it's t- uh, past, the past is the past. Um, I'm trying to pick up stuff now. Like, for example, I tried to pick up the piano, which I really couldn't. I just couldn't. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm trying this podcast, which is something new. Yeah, there's it's just one or two things that I'm slowly branching out towards. But for the most part, I tried to stay with what I know best, like tennis and singing and stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if I would have to say one thing, it would probably be cooking. Jesus Christ, I didn't used to cook at all back before the coronavirus pandemic. Like, I, I would struggle it, it, once if we got food from, like, a restaurant or something, 
I would need a parent to like put the food on my plate. I was terribly, I got spoiled in that sense. But um, I have been a little bit better during the coronavirus pandemic. I learned how to bake. I learned how to cook tofu, one of my favorites now. And I can sort of, I guess I'm a little bit more independent in the kitchen, I would say. Um, yeah, and honestly, it, it feels good once you cook something and it actually tastes pretty nice. You know, it feels like you've accomplished something. <laughs> nice. So what what is, like, what is the most complex thing you've cooked so far? Um, yeah, I'd probably have to do, um, so I made a, like a sort of garlic, um, Chinese Thai sauce with noodles. It was pretty, pretty nice. Hey, how long did it take? Took 30 minutes, I would say. Nice, nice. Yeah, because I cooked a bit too. Like I, I've made, um, I'm kind of forget. I made eggplant parmesan before, I guess. I guess that counts. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, that's a lot more advanced than me. (laughs) Oh, no, it's really easy. You just. Put some sauce at the bottom, put some cheese on top, and put the eggplants in the middle. And then you're pretty much done. <laughs> okay, I think, yeah, why don't we just jump on to the next topic? So here's going to be the policy topic. Oh, yeah, like I mentioned. Um, Sanche, I think it's more of an extent topic. I know, right? Yeah, Sanchi, you, cool. can, you can explain this. Yeah, um, so a good transition from COVID is COVID vaccines. It's a big reason why the cases are going down. I believe there's three major ones, um, Moderna, Pfizer, J&J, which is not too famous. <laughs> um, but the question we pose today, and it's just sort of not much of a debate, but more of a discussion between me and Rohit, is should vaccines be mandatory? And I guess I'll start it off. I think my personal stance on this is, I would have to think, I'd probably be on the I'd probably be leaning on the side of yes interesting yeah I think that um when it's something as serious as this when it's a national emergency I don't think I don't think like rights shouldn't be overlooked but this is something that actually saves lives right and it helps with public safety so yeah. I would I would say that the government needs to take action and and yeah, have to enforce the vaccine. Your thoughts, Rohit? Yeah, I think in my opinion, I'm leaning towards a yes, but I'm also a bit skeptic and I'll explain why. So like I'm not skeptic of the vaccine. Like the vaccine can work and all obviously we don't know the long term effects, but that's with every vaccine. Like you won't know the long term effects until they've happened. But my main worry is I guess in a sense, religious freedom, like, obviously, I personally am not affected by it, because religious, I'm really not religious when it comes to vaccines. There's no religion I follow or nothing that binds me when it comes to vaccines. But I'm just worried about, like, public sentiment when it comes to people being forced to take a vaccine. And also, I think this brings up a really good point, like, drawing the fine line between individual and public safety. Because... I think there's a very, very fine line that the government has to walk when it comes to individual versus public safety. Like, is it in the benefit of the individual to not get the vaccine and their own personal religious freedoms or their own personal, like, health benefits? Or is it beneficial for the public to be, well, I guess, fully, like, reaching herd immunity? And I think that's a hard question that can't, like, I'm not trying to squirrel away from the question if that's what it sounds like. 
I'm just, I honestly don't have an answer. Like, there is no right answer. I think it's all very subjective depending on the situation. Like, if you have an able-bodied person with no medical conditions and they're religiously opposed, I, I'd lean towards the side of yes, because if it it's helping out public safety and in it's like sort of taking away a knife from someone, in my opinion, like you're, you're not, I mean, you obviously don't have the ability to take the knife away from someone, but you're limiting the chances they have of harming other people. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. Um, yeah. Um, I understand the, the, why you're skeptical on the whole public sentiment sentiment. It's, it's hard to sort of, um, I guess, push a mindset of overlooking rights. But I guess there's also a discussion of, is it a right to get to choose, like, um, whether you want a vaccine? Um, yeah, that is that is really true. Yeah, well, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I, I do think it's quite... We, we do have the freedom, right? <laughs> so... Yeah, that was a pretty dumb question. <laughs> but it, Yeah, I don't think it was a dumb question more than it was just like, it just represents how confusing this entire thing is, right? Like, I, I it's hard to determine. And I think this resonates more with people who are personally affected by COVID who would probably want the answer to lean towards yes. And there I can definitely see their issue. Like, they've been personally affected. It's had a severe emotional impact, not, not to mention physical. But I... I still don't know if, like, the message they're spreading, like, the government, in a sense, is spreading the message of, I guess, limited to no religious freedom. Not no religious freedom, but religious ob objections. And I think that really, that that allows for a slippery slope. There are so many things that could be, like, religiously objected to, whether it be, for example, like, I know, like, in France, there was a law against like uh, Muslims having religious expression outside of their like house, basically, right? Like wearing hijabs or whatever they want. And I think that just speaks to a broader debate today about like... Yeah, I mean, I think I think we're happy about where the U.S. is at. And I guess not happy, but like it's more advanced relatively compared to France in terms of r religious expression, right? There's nothing that bans you because you have freedom. But... Yeah. Um, yeah, I think just our our final answer, I think, would probably be that we don't we don't know. It just depends on the person. We would be leaning more towards yes if if it's a person that's just religiously opposed, because again, there's just a fine line between individual and public safety. And at the end of the day, it also sort of relates to that trolley problem, right? Would you yeah. would you um like what's the Trolley problem. You could yeah, kill you four people. Kill you could yeah. kill four people, or you could kill one person. Yeah, man. Right. The trolley problem is so interesting in the sense. See, this is. I used to be a one person kind of guy. Like, I'm happy. I'm not. I'm not proud of it, but I was, and this is my main reason. I was. I felt that in my mind, if I pulled a lever and that one person died, I was committing a murder of sorts. Like. Yeah, I, was that, the I realized that's the reason, that's the way they framed it. So they made sure that the train was going towards the four people. See, like, originally. I don't know the actual, like, is it, is it the same? Is murder the same if you're watching and not doing anything? When you could have easily done something, is that still murder? Cause no, that's not murder. That's exactly why they made the question so that the train is originally going towards the four people and then the lever 
when you because when you pull the lever, you are personally responsible for killing that one person. So it's not just four people or one person. It's four people or killing one person or like it's killing four people without you doing anything or it's killing one person and you're responsible. That's sort of the question and that's the main um I guess controversy reason for yeah. controversy. But and yeah, I think that would just be a, our final answer to that. Any um, disagreement? One more comment about vaccines is yeah. I think it, like me and Sanchez, we're high schoolers. I don't think we know enough about the world to make an educated decision. Not like an educated decision, but a like um, a- applicable decision about like the things around us. Mm-hmm. I think it very, very much depends on who you talk to. Like, like I said, if you have someone who's personally affected by COVID, they are going to say yes. Like, not they're not going to say yes, but they're going to be very, like, the likelihood is they will be more slanted towards yes. And if you're talking to someone, let's say a business owner, they will also be more slanted to say yes, because COVID lockdowns have affected businesses so hard. Yeah. Um, yeah, I definitely agree. And I guess we can talk about this later, but this also brings up the topic of incentives. I recently was reading some stuff about this, like Gavin Newsom, he he had a lottery. If he got the vaccine, you're entered in a lottery. Recently, he picked someone. Um, the person won 250K. So it was, yeah. well, well, we can talk a little bit later about if incentives work or not. I, yeah. wait, and, just, and just a quick thing is, I'm pretty, I talked to someone else who will most likely be a guest on the show afterward, but the recent California, at least specifically, is having such insane incentives. I think like $115 million in total is because we yeah. actually have like a, a surplus of money. So they're just trying to burn it right now, mm-hmm. which is quite interesting in my opinion. But yeah, I think we can get to that later. So yeah. Yeah. Then why don't we move on to our, yeah, sorry, Roland. Oh, no, nothing. I was just going to say what you were going to say. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, then why don't we move on to our next and final topic for, um, unless, um, until until Gavin joins us, but that is um, stocks. So, yeah, I got into, I guess I'll start. I got into stocks about six to seven months ago. Um, Started off with 250, then I got 250 more, and then I got 500, so I have a I got I have a total of one k, and I've made a thousand and a hundred ten. So I have a profit of hundred ten dollars, and I've 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 gained a lot of business knowledge. I've realized stocks are extremely helpful for business knowledge, in my opinion. Um, yeah, Rod, why don't you talk about your stocks knowledge? Yeah, uh, I used to be pretty okay. We, I think it was a few months ago now that I was pretty big into stocks, like. I would be watching every day and you know trying to find a new stock to buy. I didn't really have a limit on the amount of, on the budget for me because we expected that they would grow, especially since we bought them during COVID. Currently, I th- I think my biggest gain I gained like I bought something for I believe uh, thirteen hundred and I currently the value right now is twenty five hundred. So, I think that's the biggest gain I have. But I mean, other than that, like. I'm not that big into stocks anymore. Mm-hmm. Like I watch it once or twice just to see how mine are doing. And at this point, they're not even mine anymore. They're my dad's. <laughs> oh, what stock did you buy? Out of curiosity, the 1300 one. Uh, let me 
me check. Let me see. No, remember. I have like a spreadsheet of here, but I completely forgot to write the names. Uh, I think I'll let you know in a bit. I think after the podcast, I think I'll let you know, but I can't. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess I can talk a little bit about the stocks I invest in. Um, so I've done, I don't know if you know right now, but AMC is literally, I told, I was telling Rohit, Rohit about this the other day. AMC is at 43 right now or 44, but like literally, uh, let's see, like two days ago, it was at 67 and I bought at 13 and I bought 25 shares. I made so much money off that. It's, and then I lost a lot in cinema, yeah. but um, we we'll, won't we'll yeah, talk about that. I found huh. the name of um, my most profitable one. I think I bought, like, I bought Uber at one point in time. Yeah, Uber. Uber, wow, nice. But yeah, uh, obviously, this gets into the entire thing that like Uber is not a good business model, right? Like it is, it's just not a good business model because, you know, they depend on, I guess, freelancers in a sense, but then they also don't give them employee benefits. But, you know, yeah, I think the Uber had a bit of a scandal with um, uh, employee treatment and stuff like that. Yeah, and yeah, but about AMC, it's 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 a bit crazy, and I think it started with the meme again. I'm, I'm oh, serious. Yeah. GameStop is consistently at two hundred dollars right now. I don't think it's gone down yet. AMC also went up because of a meme. I, Rohit, I honestly, Reddit's gonna control the stock market in a few years. Yeah, so. it's it's kind of scary in a sense because, um, this is sort of like Elon Musk. So let me explain why this is kind of worrying. This is actually not the natural. GameStop should be dead. For all intents and purposes, GameStop should be like. Yeah, yeah definitely gone. agree. And the problem is that it's harming the natural flow of the economy and not only that this is kind of like some one person affecting the entire economy like this is i guess my like a major gripe with capitalism or in general like someone like elon musk can go on a, can go on twitter and for one day just say like buy dogecoin and dogecoin will go up by 400 percent. is that that's manipulating the market to be quite fair like just like that reddit can do the exact same if reddit acts as one entity they can in they can inflict so much harm on companies, on hedge funds, on like you. Know. Yeah, it, it ruins the natural flow of the economy. I definitely agree. Like it, it's going to be quite crazy if someone just says, "Oh, make Delta Airlines go to 200. Some, um, I guess, famous, well-known, rich person says that, and or big entity, and then it goes to a lot. So it is, I guess, also a bit unfair. I would say, but um, hopefully, there's something built to i guess a uh, bit stop it because it is a bit worrying like Rohit yeah said. so sancha let me ask you a quick question i think this is like a nice educational part of the podcast mm-hmm. but do you have any stock recommendations right now like three stocks off the top of your head right now that you would want the, you would want someone to buy mm-hmm. travel industry that's all i have to say literally summer i know i know Rohit. i think at the beginning of this podcast said that it's gonna be um a lot more in fall but here's the thing. People already are ahead of, uh, like, they already know that everybody's going to be buying travel industry by in in the end of summer. Because, like, or even earlier. Like, to be honest, now. I bought way earlier. Because the thing is, if everybody buys now, then it'll go higher. So you want to buy travel industry stock when you're, like, before the people, before, uh, man, it's hard to put this into words. You gotta, you gotta do it 
even earlier than other people would. So people would buy travel industry stock right before summer because everybody's going. But you got to buy travel industry stock before they bought it because that's when it's low. So that's what I did. Because uh, if, if you check, um, like I went to Delta Airlines right before summer, high May, high low, um, like right now, it's gone so high. So that's why I that's why I bought Delta Airlines in March and that time because that's when the travel industry stocks low and it's going to go extremely high right now, right? Like everybody's traveling, summer, fall. People are just tired of being stuck in home for one and a half years. They're, they're going crazy. They're buying or everybody. So I bought MGM. That's a travel. That's um, LA, not LA, Las Vegas hotel sort of company, MGM Grand. I brought Carnival Cruise Line. I bought Delta Airlines. I brought basically all the sectors of the travel industry. I bought air, I bought ship, and I bought hotels. Um, anything in those, I would highly recommend. And I think later on in a different episode, we can discuss, have an effective um, discussion on cryptocurrency. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because okay. I would also recommend, in on cryptocurrency at least, Dogecoin. Because I know Elon Musk and <laughs> Jake Paul, um, yeah. some of those... Yeah. powerful names um they're they're also a bit of memers and they buy them so as uh, soon as they make a tweet about it it's going flying yeah so i think that's a great way to end our i think our little spiel between the two of us and what you, most likely you've been waiting for if you've actually listened for this long is the guest the esteemed guest who we will who we will be bringing on shortly so Thank you so much for listening to us too and have fun listening to the guest in just a minute. Yep. Uh, all right. See this. All right. Now, like I mentioned before, um, previously in this podcast, we will always have a special guest um, just to interview and discuss certain current events, policies, any topics that are maybe just going on in the world today. And today's first and inaugural very special um guest is gavin uh yeah i'll let gavin introduce himself yeah um my name is gavin not much more needs to be said um yeah happy to be here and uh, share my thoughts great yeah um why don't we just start it off with some questions so yeah. okay let's talk um, about quarantine it's it's been a bit tough right well yeah. what, what what would you say is something you picked up during quarantine so maybe something a bit random well i mean i did start bellerman in quarantine and uh, prior to okay. that i just realized i know i know we've spent our whole years sheltered inside it's pretty sad but actually the first time i'd ever touched the realm of speech and debate was in that first rhetoric class wow so like yeah that was that was definitely something that I got really involved in as the year moved by. Like, I, I, for all you people who aren't in Bellarmine, I went from doing, like, literally nothing in speech and debate at the beginning of the year to having every Sunday just completely filled up with tournaments to the point where my parents were just sick of having to, like, shuffle computers around and stuff. So, uh, yeah, for sure. If, if there was one thing that I picked up during the pandemic, it was definitely uh, speech and debate. Um, all right. I think um, a lot of us did the same here. <laughs> uh, yeah, for sure. And next, so like, so it was a speech and debate, right? Mostly during quarantine that you basically sold your soul to it. 
Yeah, I'm, yeah, and also my firstborn. As, as oh, my well. <laughs> there's there's that to explain <laughs> your firstborn. Yeah, so um, <laughs> one of these uh, rhetoric class meetings, which is kind of like a class that's a primer for speech and debate, um, our teacher, Mr. Langerman, uh, I was asking a question to him and he was like, I'll give you the answer in exchange for your firstborn. And of course I accepted it because I needed to know the answer to that specific question. So uh, yeah, that's how I ended up uh, with, <laughs> some, with, some, uh, uh, with some child rights to Mr. Langerman. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, Mr. Langerman. Yeah. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. You don't even remember the question and you've effectively sacrificed your firstborn. Yep, definitely worth it. One hundred. Where are your freaking? Where are your priorities? <laughs> I mean, yeah, it was it was a hundred percent worth it. I, mean, I, I would say getting an A in rhetoric is way more important than any <laughs> bro. An college. A. Everyone got a hundred and nine. Okay? Yeah, everyone got a. Okay, <laughs> for you people who don't understand why we all got like a hundred and nine, it's because he gives out extra credit for attending yeah. these tournaments. Man gives out like 2% per every tournament you go to. And they were all online this year and like four were mandatory for the class. So we all ended up getting like... I, I ended up with 105. Like when, when college application time comes, uh, <laughs> the, the, the admissions officers are just going to look at us like, what the heck did these people do in rhetoric to get 110 percent in their first class yeah that's actually a good transition we wanted to talk about today with you um i guess that sort of college central mindset you know um, yeah so in i think at least where we live right college central or yeah like i think it's quite area. common in the bay area especially uh-huh. yeah that um it's just some students are i don't want to say obsessed but a bit um yeah. Oh, a bit too much on just trying to get into a good college. Like that's all that's mattered. That that's so, that's all that matters in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your, your so, thoughts. Let's just start off with a simple question. Like, is it worth fretting about college to you? Well, I mean, I think we have to examine the root cause of why people obsess over getting into a good college, and I think the main reason is because these colleges uh, kind of keep their places artificially elite. You know, enable in order to keep that. Uh, image of prestige they oftentimes artificially cap the size of their student body like i know right now harvard's freshman class is only 1600 kids but they have 7000 acres of open land uh, that they can build on so i mean i think it's part stubbornness and part good business strategy by these colleges to keep it that way but that ends up with a whole host of kids who are fighting for such a small amount of spots thinking that they have to you know, start a company or something to get into college, which oftentimes nowadays they do. You know, I like to say back in the 1980s, you went to college to uh, find your place in the world. Now you have to find your place in the world to get into college. So, you know, that, that dynamic is definitely through the worst. That yeah, was, that's a good way to say it. I wasn't really too educated, or at least didn't know much about the artificially um, capping thing, but that seems something, that seems like something Harvard would do, to be honest. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, Gavin, just another question, just to branch off of this. You seem yeah. like the sort of, you seem like a chill sort of guy with, you know, colleges and stuff. So, like, do you have, like, a college plan in mind, or do you know what you want to do when you grow up? Like, that's the idea, at least. Well, I mean, now that you mention it, I am, I, I have been actively looking for colleges um, for a while now, actually. So, Ooh, okay. yeah, pretty, pretty nice of you to mention that, but... um 
Is this classified information? And on the other hand, I'd also like to mention, I think it's also healthy and important to have some sort of a balance. I mean, college is an important stage in your life. Of and course, of course. I don't think it should be like complete, you know, you're completely just um, obsessing over it 24-7. Everything you do is for college. You just care about the grades, not the knowledge. But I do think college is important and you should try to... Um, because let's be honest, in in this the world we have, it helps when you when someone sees Stanford or Harvard on your resume, it makes you more prone to get a job later in your life, right? Oh yeah, and of course, but I think right now, at least in the Bay Area, that balance is certainly out of whack. Like I know, at least, like I think it's probably something like two hundred percent harder to get into college in the Bay Area than in like a place like North Dakota. Because remember, these colleges also employ what's called regional diversity. Meaning mm-hmm. they only accept a certain number of students from a certain area. And the Bay Area... Affirmative action. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Bay Area is just so competitive that, you know, it makes it almost impossible to be able to get into a good college from here. And yeah, you know, at least where I... At least around where I live in Cupertino, you know, you can't, you can't drive a block without seeing, you know, a test prep center or a college admissions counselor's office. You know, they're, they're, they're just all along... They're, they're dotted around every place in every city here, and it's it's almost kind of become like a, a religion, almost. Mm-hmm. You know, and, I, and I know a lot of kids who, you know, put in two, three hours every day at those test centers, all in the hope of, you know, scoring a few more points on that test, which could be the decision between getting into college and being stayed out. So, I mean, In fact, you know, I actually have a funny story. So uh, we recently found this, like, like, this free SAT thing. Like, it's pretty bad i'm just saying okay like it's like it's like a group of 350 kids right and the teacher so she's an she's an obviously a bay area parent she's been doing this for 33 years and she made her kids take the sat in seventh grade look oh yeah i've heard something like that before (laughs) why what are what what benefit are you getting from putting your kids yeah also i would say that that actually brings up a good point. I think this mindset is also stems a lot, a lot from the parents. A lot of it from comes from the parents. And I'm also confused because it can't be passed down because um, a lot of these parents that we see that are passing down this mindset, they're actually immigrants from different countries all around the world. So I'm confused how this mindset actually just stemmed that college is the best because... Um, it wasn't well, like passed down that. from generation to generation because, you know, it was these these parents are immigrants. So, yeah, it just brings up some question in my head. I mean, I think at the end of the day, a lot of times these, you know, people who are not necessarily all immigrants, I don't think we need to make that broad generalization. But I think, yeah. you know, the people who invest so much time in their kids in these test prep centers and in these places that help you get into college, I think they all have a noble end goal for them. You know, it's not like they're doing this just to torture them or to, you know, make their lives miserable. They're doing this so that they can have a better future or at least the chance of a better future. Um, And a lot of times, like you mentioned, some of the people who do these are immigrants and, you know, a lot of times college and higher education is kind of the best vehicle for them to transition their kids. Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, I would, I would, most parents would, at least, hopefully, would want their child to have a good life, right? I, that, that totally makes sense. But I would, I'm just wondering if, like, p- 
pushing hard on college is the right way to do that, at least. Because at the end of the day, I think what's most what we have to remember is that what college you go to doesn't really matter, but what you do at the college that you go to sort of does matter. Exactly. Yeah, and I'd like to just. Oh, sorry, Gavin. Oh no, no, no. Go ahead. Yeah, but I'd like to actually. It was like a pretty big awakening for me just a few days ago. So, like, I met some people from like some seniors, right? Like, like if remember, remember, like for example, like a show can like the valedictorians. Like, if you don't know, so we have mm-hmm. a group of valedictorians and salutatorian sal- salutatorians. I think at like at our school, and obviously they're the first and second best people at the school. So like, it's a big deal. But after seeing the colleges they went to, like they're going to, like obviously they are good colleges. And then I met a lot of other seniors who are going to random colleges too, like San Francisco State or like, you know, things like that. And I'm like starting to wonder if it's even worth one, going to a good college and like for, like sacrificing the rest of my high school for it or two, like, like yearning for a good college when all colleges seem to be, well, in a sense it's all down to you, like, not the college. It's, it's a weird paradox. Yeah, I'm going to be honest, Roy. I sort of agree with you there. I actually had that exact same experience. Coming into Bellarmine, even in eighth grade, I was extremely college-central. Like, it was, it was pretty bad. Like, I was doing everything for college. And at, at, in, after my freshman year, I'm, I just started to think, like, is it even worth it? Like, is it worth it if I just go to a good college and like it it matters what i do there right so i I can i can still do whatever i want and i can still be i guess um what most people would make you go to college for is i guess successful i could still be successful without going to ivy league or stanford or stuff like that okay Mm -hmm. um yeah gavin i just wanted to ask you a quick question so Mm -hmm. Has this college curse of yours plagued your household ever? Or has it, is it plaguing your household right now? Well, I mean, I, I have to agree with Sanchit here in that I think that it's the individual who ultimately decides their own path in the future. And it's not like, you know, the societal prestige of some colleges is going to be holding people back. You know, people like Mark Zuckerberg, they were college dropouts. I mean, sure, they were college dropouts from Harvard, but they were college dropouts nonetheless. (laughs) You can't forget the from Harvard there, you know? (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, All right. Why don't we move on and let's, let's talk a little bit more about you, Gavin. So I guess... Yeah, you're known for your extracurriculars, the <laughs> jack of all. So I'll, I'll let Rohit ask you about some of your extracurriculars. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Okay. So I think, so the aim of this podcast, if you don't know already, is to well, basically bring people on who have special talents, or not only special talents, but have dedicated, I guess, some part of their life to something that they like or something that they're honing in on. So I'd like to ask you personally, so what is something that, you like to do or something that you want to be honing in on one talent or I guess you've already mentioned speech and debate, mm-hmm. but is there anything outside of that? Yeah. So, I mean, one other thing that instantly comes to mind is piano. Um, I've been doing piano for about four years now, five years, something like that. Um, maybe three. I, I don't remember. Um, but you know, it's, it's always been a very fun experience, you know, ever since I was, getting started doing primers to now I'm, I'm playing pieces that are a little bit higher up. Yeah. 
stuff. You know, I realized something. Four hmm? years is not actually a lot yeah. of time compared to some other people. They've been doing piano for a while. Okay. And I, I know I, mean, I know how successful you've been in, like, uh, I believe it was the Usamo, the music competition. Usamo. So, uh, <laughs> Wait, why don't we ask Gavin Sancho? Why don't we ask? So, Gavin. Yeah, so, yeah I, was good, I was getting to that. I was just okay. wondering, do, do you ever feel, like, I guess, disadvantaged or... Does it feel hard if if these other people have been doing it for seven, eight, nine years? Well, you only started at four. Or was well, it hard at the beginning, maybe? I mean, I'm a person who kind of likes to own up for what I do. So I don't I don't like to make excuses like, you know, oh, they've played for ten years longer or oh, you know, this and that. I, I just like to go in there and play my pieces and, you know, over the last few years that's that's been successful in those competitions. But I mean, th- nice. this year, certainly not as much as the last few. Um, I know Rohit has some experience um, splicing some images from some of the, oh, uh, yeah. some of the winners' concerts I've had at the U.S. Open. Yeah. For the- some context, uh, th- there were some pictures, <laughs> online pictures of Gavin. Um, I wouldn't say in the best uh, context either. No, the, so. the best, like, and Rohit took a few screenshots and... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm working on compiling one, Gavin. Don't worry. Yeah. Your, your poster, your movie poster with like 50 shades of Gavin is coming, is coming soon. Trust me. <laughs> um, so let me continue with that. Mm-hmm. So obviously in my personal opinion, I don't know if this is actually true, but four years and the, so just explain what level are you at right now? Or for example, what's the most complex piece you've learned or sure. what's the prestigious competition you've attended? So, I mean, Currently, I'm playing a uh, a Chopin etude. I'd say that's kind of up there with one. Of, oh yeah, that is definitely up one there. of the one of the hardest pieces I've played. I've also played some Gershwin, um, and he's he's obviously <clears throat> not as well known as Chopin when it comes to piano, but you know the the jumps are very difficult as well. Um, I dabbled in a little bit of Rachmaninoff like a few months ago, which I'm, I'm pretty sure was also pretty difficult. I'd say right now most of the pieces I'm playing are about a level 9 to 10, some kind of range in there. So, you know, it's it's been a pretty it's been a pretty fast experience kind of moving up the levels in piano. Yeah, cuz I know people who've done it for their lifetimes and they're at like level 9 and 10. So so how do you so how exactly did you um what is it? I guess sort of fast make your piano experience like fast paced. Well, um I mean, I think it actually started when I was really young. Um, I didn't like do any formal piano training, but piano training. But someone in my family um, is a musician, and they kind of taught me from when I was young, kind of the primer of the piano and how to use it. Um, and I'm pretty sure that you know, since a lot of development happens early on in your ages zero to six, um, I think that kind of set me up well for the foundation that I would build about ten years later. Um, and I also have to give credit to my teacher because I mean, she, she's, she's a person who will not accept anything but the best from you. And she will let you know when you have not satisfied her. Um, so she, she kind of has a tendency to around competition time, ramp it up a little, if you know what I mean. And, uh, yeah, (laughs) yeah, during, during the lessons. So, uh, Gavin. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Sorry. I could hear you, but, um, we have to wrap this up, so I'll start getting into the final little bits of what we were going to ask you today. So, I know you started this piano hobby really late. Like, 
I think relative to most people, at least where we live, starting piano three or four years ago is quite unheard of. And so do you have any advice for people who are trying to find, like, for example, a new hobby that they like or trying to find their purpose, especially outside of school? Yeah. I mean, the one thing I'll say is, you know, it's never too late. You know, I I started piano when I was almost about to turn 13, when I was about 12 years old. Um, And, you know, about three, four years later, you know, I'm, I'm in a place that I feel very comfortable with. So, you know, you might not need to go to the Van Cliburn of whatever your extracurricular is, but, you know, with enough time, with enough discipline, um, and with enough kind of will and determination, you know, you'll be able to achieve a lot more than you think you will originally be able to achieve in a small amount of time. Yeah, okay. definitely agree. I think it's... I think it's important to realize that it's never too late. Actually, Gavin, I started piano um, my freshman year here at Bellevue, like in the summer. Sort of, unlike you, I didn't really stick it with the discipline, but I'm I'm gonna try resuming it again and trying to keep on that, keep it going. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's yeah. important to remember if you want to try something out, it's never too late. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And I think. This will be the final few questions and we'll call it a day. But so Gavin, Mm -hmm. this is, I think the main question I wanted to ask you, and you can take like a minute to respond to this. Not that long. So uh, just for two minutes, I'd like you to teach a small lesson in piano to someone, like teach them what a term means or what a certain phrase means in piano. Like, like for example, what piano forte means or. Yeah, we want this podcast (laughs) to be educational. So. Huh. All right, I'm going to give you guys a quick education in the basics of piano. Um, so one, like you mentioned how you wanted me to talk about a specific term. One term that I really like to talk about is called rubato, because um, I, I really do enjoy playing Chopin, and in order to play Chopin well, you need to know what rubato is. So obviously, when you're playing a piece, there is a time signature that you need to play by, right? You know, you need to, to, to make sure that you're in time with the beat, in sync, etc. So what rubato does is it takes that beat and it kind of stretches it or compresses it situationally to what the piece needs. So, you know, when I'm playing Chopin, I might have a little phrase here that might need to be played a little quicker to emphasize something over here. So I would do so. Um, And, you know, I might have something that's very low in the bass notes that I want to like kind of sit on. So I play it a little slower. so, I mean, in an essence, that's kind of what rubato is. It's kind of taking time away and adding time back. Um, and it's it's one of the most fundamental aspects of Chopin. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyways, I think that's going to be the end of um, Gavin's time here. But thank you so much for coming. Thank you for starting off our podcast on a good episode. And, um, yeah, I guess I'll... S- See you in some original speech writing. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Gavin, for coming and sharing a little bit of wisdom about well, colleges and, you know, yourself. So awesome. have a good time wherever you're going. Uh, <laughs> so I salute a fellow soldier. And with that, I think we'll sign off. All right. Bye, okay. Then. Uh, thank you all for listening and see you in the next episode. Bye. Bye.